Welcome to Soul Conversations. We are three Korean adoptees talking about anything and everything through an adoptee lens. My name is Benny. And I'm Shanae. And I'm Kara. And this is season three. All right, everyone. Let's do a quick check-in. How's everybody's past, uh, well, it's only been a couple of days, I guess. So uh, how's your day been going? How's your, how's your heart? How's your mind? How's your body? Heart's good. It's almost Friday. So looking forward to the weekend. Uh, I'm feeling good too. Um, it's funny because we all have a drink tonight. Everyone's going to think that we're like alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wish I everyone could see Benny drinking it straight out of the bottle though. Uh, yes. But I'm joining. I got. I joined this time. I've got my uh, my old foe on the rocks here, my Kentucky root showing very much so. I almost went for the old fashioned. I went for the Manhattan tonight though with some rye. I You're like it. Okay, drinker. No, it's it's my husband's fault. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the Manhattan again? I should know this because I've worked in the food industry for so long. I was gonna say, aren't you? Haven't you bartended? It's uh, shoot. Um, Rye whiskey, Angostura bitters, and sweet vermouth. Yeah, that's but so, don't ask that's me so what advanced. the ratios are. That's so advanced. I'm like, like what's up, liquor? I feel like I need oh, yeah. my sweater vest and like a pipe. There you go. <laughs> your smoker's jacket, your slippers, your belt right. slippers. <laughs> I love and, that. Um, old fashioned. So that's a that's a thing in Kentucky too. Yeah, an old fashioned is yeah, but I'm just just drinking Old Forester, just straight up. Oh, like wow. I had this really strange um, bourbon journey. You know, you move to Louisville bourbon capital and they don't, you know, they shame you into doing it. So this is where I've landed. And now it's pretty much all I drink. And I'm I'm waiting for us on camera. Not everyone can see us, but it's waiting to see if we get uh, flushed tonight. Oh, it'll happen. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) It will happen. (laughs) We'll just watch Kara fall asleep midway through recording. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's what will happen. hundred percent. I'll just, I'll just fall asleep. Shanae, how's baby this week? Oh, you know, she's good. She has a doctor's appointment tomorrow. She gets her flu shot. So hoping she sleeps well tonight. Cause tomorrow sleep's probably going to go out the window. <laughs> but she's so cute. She like army crawls everywhere. And she comes up if I like play hide and seek with her and she'll like tug at the blanket. If I like pull it over me. And she'll tug at it, and I see, like, her little head, and she just, like, looks at you and smiles. But she doesn't understand, like, personal space, and she has a cranial helmet, so she looks like a little astronaut. And um, it's this hard plastic, but she, like, her way of showing affection is to, like, headbutt you really hard. (laughs) So there are a couple times. I thought I lost, like, one of my front teeth a little bit earlier this week because she (laughs) hit me pretty hard. But, you know, it's cute. So That's right. Sign her up for uh, football. When she gets old, enough. I know, I know. Oh man, I no football, no cheerleading, concussion stuff freaks me out, man. Yeah, is she, are you? Um, what about the arts? Music, oh, yes, theater. To the arts. Yes to the arts, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Try not to be like you know the stereotypical like tiger mom, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm excited. I would not complain if she decided to uh, march drum corps when she got a little bit older. See, the dream's yes. already happening. It's already happening. Yep. yep. <laughs> yes. The vision is painted. Yeah, nobody tells you about, like, the, the low-key violence that's involved with, like, children. It's like, my nephew went through a biting phase and, like, the head bashing phase. Or, like, when you try to pick them up and they just knock their head back into your chin. Yeah. And he's bitten mm-hmm. me and, like, broken skin. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how parents do this like you don't and they're sleep. so strong yeah they're so strong <laughs> it's like and they make you poor and they just they require non-stop attention i'm just like mad props yeah. well i <laughs> babies just lot. need to be stopped stop being so thirsty you know what i mean they, they <laughs> have so much attention they're the thirstiest 
so, <laughs> so, so sweet though. Well, in this episode, our topic is going to be our whiteness. And as Korean adoptees living in America, we all have this duality of our Korean heritage, but also the environment that we grew up in. And we just wanted to kind of riff and talk about the situations when it arises and how we interact with that and how we feel about that. And at the end, we'll have some questions that we want to ask ourselves. And we always love to hear what our viewers have to say. So please do definitely follow us on Soul Conversations on Instagram. And you also can follow us on our website at www.soulconversationspodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, interested in diving into this topic, it's something that's been always near and dear to me. Um, and I think we've talked about this in previous seasons of, for me personally, trying to mask our identity, at least mine, and trying to fit in um, with friends and family, trying to not stick out, but interested in hearing the conversations we have today. How do you guys describe like your whiteness? Like if you, I mean, we didn't go into this kind of, we didn't talk about it amongst the three of us when we picked this topic, but like what, what are your working definitions? If I say, you know, like, tell me about your whiteness, like what comes to mind for you? For me, like my whiteness is like a persona. (laughs) Like Mm. she's like a vision in my head. She's like this certain version of me. She dresses a certain way. She talks a certain way. She navigates the world a certain way. Like she's almost like a whole other thing that I, like a mask that I put on and off. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, Benny, to kind of elaborate on what you were saying, I definitely resonate with that too of like, I think during the time and there's moments where I kind of like joke about her and will reference her and it's ha ha he he. But when I really look at it, it's like, she's like a survival tactic, you know, like she was created with survival in mind. I probably didn't realize it at the time, um, but that's like my whiteness. Or when I see myself acting or doing or talking a certain way, or like like the other day um, we were having what I, I said, like I'm having like my, my white cravings. Like we ate like chili and I was eating like club <laughs> crackers with American cheese and pepperoni on it. And I had pancakes for breakfast. <laughs> like that's my whiteness. Like I, I, I see that like that's my whiteness like showing up and there's this other inside joke with some of my friends of like I talk like an old person sometimes and like sometimes I say these things like what did I, I said honky dory the other day I was like everything's all honky dory and like I hear I hear this word come out of my mouth I'm like where the hell did that word come from <laughs> I was like that's mm-hmm. that's my whiteness it's like any time or anything that shows up that comes out of me that feels quote unquote white, like that's how I describe my whiteness. What about you guys? I can, I can relate to that. And I, even too, like now that I'm thinking about like a topic and a title, uh, it's like, why does it have to be our whiteness? Like what does it have to do with anything with ourselves? But, you know, I, I think for me, it's, you said it too, Kara, just like almost like a defense mechanism. Yes. Um, and that's just, the environment of myself growing up in a community that was mostly white and trying not to rock the boat, trying to avoid conflict or, or trying to fit in. And I think for many, many years, wishing I was white. And it's interesting that you can ask a question, well, why is it white? Why is it not any other thing? And I think it's because, you know, it was the, the environment that I grew up in was that that's the people that surrounded me. And, just trying to assimilate and really trying to survive and utilizing that proximity to advance in my friendships, in my career. And I I always wonder what other people think about me because I did have a a roommate in college once who had to do the survey for a class. And I think I mentioned this too in an earlier episode that he said, like, I couldn't think of anybody who was not white that I'm friends with. And I'm looking at him like, dude, like I've been your college roommate for two years. And like, when you think of me, you don't feel like I'm a person of color. So I thought that was really interesting too, like from that Mm -hmm. perspective as well. Oh, I mean, I've definitely had people say, well, you're not really Asian. You're not really Korean. Mm -hmm. Shanae, has anyone ever said anything to you like that? Oh, all the time. I feel like I grew up with it. 
all the time. Like people would say, like, oh, you're a fake Asian, or like you're a banana, or you're oh a Twinkie. God. The like banana thing. They're, yeah. I mean, I was like Twinkie all the way through high school and college. And I think I was egg roll at one point, but you know. Um <laughs> what? I think that's just straight up racist. I don't know where the connection is on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, as I say it out loud as an adult right now, I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. in high school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, when I think of my whiteness, I think it's funny, Kara, because you say that you think of her as, like, a persona, and I almost feel the opposite. Like, I I feel like my Koreanness is a persona because I feel like I live my life, like, 90% of the time whether, you know, I'm perceived that way or because of the model minority myth or because I'm, you know, assimilating or I have a white husband, you know, or, or just anything wrapped up in privilege. I feel like that's to me, like my, my whiteness showing, I feel like I have a very hard time with like guilt and things like that. Like anytime, you know, we're talking about buying a new house, we're talking about moving to San Francisco, which is like one of the most expensive places to live you know, in the country. And I'm like wrestling with like, well, where do we live? Like, what can we afford? I don't know. I have this weird like push pull. I'm like, oh, but, but like, I don't know. It's, it's very, very complicated. I think for me when it comes to privilege and then seeing myself as a person of color, because honestly, I think the only times that I have not felt quote unquote, like white or identified with whiteness have been when people have been like flat out racist Do you know what Mm. I mean? Like it's never, I've never Mm. felt like I've just kind of navigated the world as an Asian person and been cognizant of it in a bunch of different ways. It's like, I feel like I kind of navigated as a white person or whatever because of, you know, privilege. But then, you know, as soon as someone's like, oh, you know, like you're a chink or like, oh, you know, whatever. Like those are the moments that I'm like, oh, like I don't feel white anymore because suddenly Mm. I feel like that privilege and that protection is like ripped away. But then- like, obviously, I feel super guilty kind of being able to walk away, dust it off and like button it back up. Right. Um, so yeah. it's a very strange, complicated space for me. Shtay, you just mentioned to uh, when you first uh, started out commenting that um, people would call you certain names. And I'm, I'm curious to know what both of you think about uh, now and, and maybe when you were younger, if that was kind of like a badge of honor. For me, at least, I always like mm-hmm. wanted to, wanted to assimilate, like I just touched on. Um, yeah. So saying like, "Oh, you're you're not like that." Like we see you as white. You see this one. So I was like, "Oh my gosh, thank you!" Like in my mind, like oh, I'm fitting in finally. Um, mm-hmm. Now, as an adult, and especially recently, I just feel like the dangers of that, where it's like just looking at a post today on social media, which I'm trying to stay off a little bit, but. The dangers of marginalizing and diminishing the things we go through as a person of color, but also the the perceived benefits that we may receive because of that proximity. And I I feel like now that I'm fully proud of being Korean, and I'm interested in hearing the dynamics for you two. I don't know if it was like a, if I necessarily felt the badge of honor in the sense, like you were just saying, Benny, where you were like, oh, thank you. But I definitely rolled with it and like embraced it and fully took it on as a persona. And like, to your point about social media, there have been so many times, and I think I actually did like in college, right? Like in marching band, because I was in marching band in college and went to UMass. um, And we do like crazy things, right? We have bandoween and like all these dress up days, theme days, whatever. Um, But I, my friend and I, who she is um, Chinese and we were like, we wore yellow t-shirts and, you know, like the, like the Superman sign or whatever, but we put like an A in it and we were super Asians. And we had like the glasses with the tape around the, like the nose piece. And we put like chopsticks in our hair yeah. and like there are pictures of me yeah. on that, you know, on Facebook, because in college, like I didn't understand, I think like how damaging that was to like myself. Yeah. I didn't understand how de- self-deprecating it was. And I remember like looking back, I think when I got my first teaching job and thinking like after kind of coming out of the fog, I was like, I need to delete these photos. Right, right. What happens if somebody sees these photos? But then at the same time, I like felt guilty doing that. You know what I mean? To like act like it didn't happen because I feel like it's such an important part of like my own journey to acknowledge like 
how in the fog I was and how naive I was and how just, you know, that whole racial identity reckoning piece just like wasn't, it hadn't happened yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So then to kind of take those pictures down and act like I never did anything like that just made me feel kind of like fraudulent. Um, But I don't know. I can't remember if I did take them down, but I think you have to dig like real hard. Watch everyone now is going to go like on my Facebook. Oh, I have a Facebook. Yeah. Just scrolling like for hours and hours trying to find it. Yeah. But even the comments, like my friends would be like, oh, sister Twinkie or like, you know, super Asian egg roll. And like, that's like, and like Mm -hmm. they meant it in an endearing way. But if you go back far enough, that's like all over my Facebook feed. And it like, honestly makes me want to vomit now that I look (laughs) at them. Yeah. I mean, you guys just touched on like two really interesting things for me. Like Benny, like to go back to the badge of honor thing, like, I definitely took it as a badge of honor. It was definitely like, oh yeah, they, I'm one of them. And like, actually to your point, Shanae, I would then like add on to it. Like, you know, like I don't hang out in groups like the rest of them do. Like I was always mm-hmm. like beating my white friends to the punchline of like making mm-hmm. Asian jokes, making sure that I got out in front of it. And I think like costumes and stuff like that are kind of a similar thing, right? Beating them to the punch. Like, yep. Oh, like you should be like, you know, we had like a Disney themed sorority party and guess who I went as, you know, it's like, right. It's like, I'm just going to do it because we're all thinking the same thing. So I'm just going to go for it. And I'm in a really, you know, the, the costume thing is so interesting. Shanae, thank, first of all, thank you for sharing that. It's like, it's hard to share those types of things, especially when you're like, that was a cringy moment. I'm in this weird place where I'm almost coming full circle out of that. So I definitely did stuff like that. Like was fook you, fook me, like for Halloween. Was Mulan. I was a Sriracha bottle one year. It was so cute. I had this green little paper hat and it was like, it was perfect. I, you know, I did all those things and I there was a moment when I was coming out of the fog where I was like, oh my God, that's so cringy. Like I was totally playing into like how that was supposed to go down. Like I did what every white person mm-hmm. around me wanted me to do so they could laugh at me with permission because i did it to yes. my fucking self oh there's my first yes. word i knew it was gonna happen but it gave them <laughs> they gave i gave them permission to laugh at me because i did it right but now i'm in this yeah. weird place of confidence where i'm almost like i don't know i'm gonna start coining the term i'm gonna figure out what it is i'm like out of the fog but i'm going back into my own fog if that makes sense like mm-hmm. i have come out of the fog and i've been so quick tangent so mad so angry out of coming out of the fog, I now have to create a new fog for me to find peace with all of those things. So back to that, I got mad at myself at one point and I hated myself for doing those things. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, I am going to dress up like Squid Games because it's the, it's the best shit out there right now. And I'm proud of that. And none of you guys can do it as good as I can. Yes. I'm going to dress up like Blackpink because they're bad bitches and everybody loves them. Like, and I can pull it off in a way that you can't. And it's like this weird, like, I've come full circle where it's like, I'm not going to dress up like some white character. Mm-hmm. Like if I could, if I got to pick the Charlie's angels, I'm Lucy Lou hundred percent every time she's the baddest one. So mm-hmm. it's this weird, like I've come full circle where I'm like, whatever I'm, I'm going to be Mulan every time at the Disney party. Watch me. She's the baddest one. <laughs> it's so interesting yeah. that you say that because like for mm-hmm. Halloween, right? So I dress Kara. Clara up is Kara. <laughs> I dressed Clara up <laughs> as, as a pumpkin, um, but I yeah. also dressed her up so as, cute, as Tara way. Bubble Tea, right? It said World cute, yes. oh, Cutest yes. Bubble Tea. And, and yes. I had a moment. I was like, shit, like, is, can I do this? Is that okay? And, you know, I decided that it was or whatever. But, like, then I got thinking about it, you know, because people – we're talking about squid games and white people dressing up as characters from squid games and like taping their eyelids and all that oh my crazy God. nonsense. And I got thinking like, you know, if she was five or six or whatever and came to me and said like, mommy, I want to be Raya for Halloween or I want to be Mulan for Halloween. I was like, what would I tell her? Would I say no, because you're Asian and you're playing into like a stereotype or would I be like, or would I be like, yes, because that's, those are the people that you see yourself represented as, you know, Mm. or would I get into like, well, you can't be Raya because you're not Vietnamese or like whatever, you know, but I think that- on a certain level, like there is, a, like to your point, Kara, there's like this pride and there's this ownership. It's how you come at it, I think, that is, it makes all the difference. 
It, yeah. It's complicated though, for sure. And I, I definitely resonated with what you were saying too, of like your whiteness and your privilege. You use those two words interchangeably, Shanae, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, like I definitely had a moment of like resenting my whiteness because I equivalated it to my privilege and I hated my privilege. Like, I don't know what that's about. It's like, it's almost like the people of color guilt that I have that like, I have this guilt because I'm not experiencing it to its full effect. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I have to use, I have to resent my whiteness because my whiteness has brought me all this privilege. And there's other people who are suffering and like, I need to suffer with the rest of my community. And like, even little things like I have a name that white people can pronounce. Like I'm ashamed, I was ashamed of that at one point, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's like all these other Asians that I, um, work with they struggle with that people don't want to say their name they mispronounce the name they butcher it like whatever or you know I don't have an accent and you know I had a group of friends who were majorly Chinese and there were plenty of times where there would be a girl with an accent trying to talk to like a customer service or a staff person and they were downright rude to her and I would use Mm -hmm. my privilege I would step in I'd be like what the hell are you saying no 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 like this is how this is gonna go down like those were moments where I caught myself using my my privilege, even within like an Asian setting, if you will, where it it's still the thing that separates me from acceptance. So I resent it at the end of the day. It's like, I'm not fully having this like Asian experience because of my whiteness. So therefore, like I'm mad at it. I'm learning to come to terms with it. But for the longest time and probably still present day, there's a part of me that like resents it and it's messed up. Listening to you say yeah. that, and Benny, the, the, I'll ask this question to you too. So, like, Kara, when you said, like, I resent my whiteness because, you know, it gives me a certain amount of privilege. In my mind, my question immediately was, do you mean your whiteness or do you mean your adoption? Or are those the same thing? Wolf. I mean, yeah. I guess they're the same thing, right? I don't know. Benny, That's what, I, <laughs> what do you think, Benny? I don't know. Say that again, Shanae. like when she was talking about how she said that she resents her whiteness because it gives her a certain amount of privilege like in my mind Mm -hmm. my question was do you resent your whiteness or do you resent your adoption or are those synonymous Hmm. that's a deep question yeah yeah (laughs) as she takes another another sip of bourbon (laughs) right right should have brought the bottle up for this one yeah yeah get get on the train uh, I don't think I think it's hard for me to answer because I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. I don't think I ever have. Um, uh, I guess I can say like we'll talk about some of these are going to be topics for future episodes, but one of our topics is going to be shame and guilt and um, expressing your own suffering in a community that does not look like you. <laughs> Try to be empathetic. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Spoiler alert. It's not, <laughs> not going to be that dark. But um, but I do think the, the empathy thing plays into the big part for me because it actually happened today. I think a lot of us um, at work are, are, are busting ass. We're really working hard. We're going through a lot of changes. And I went out for lunch and took a walk today. It was so nice out. And in my mind, you know, when you have time to step away from your computer and work, you just think about things. And one of the things I was thinking about was, gosh, if I, if I was a tall white man and looked this way and did all these things, like, I'm sure that when my life would be so much easier, like, I feel like I could be more influential. I think I wouldn't get so much pushback um, in, in my recommendations in my career. And then I like quickly revert back to switch of like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why, why am I not proud of who I am and why is this creeping in and why is this letting this take control of, like, I wish I was this way and people who are of a certain race have it so easy and I can't be empathetic about them. Like, I try to be a good person all the time, but sometimes those thoughts slip in. And then I think to myself, like, dude, you tried so hard to be white and fit in and and you just said that like it was a badge of honor. Like you've been you've been using that as a tool to advance and feel comfortable. And it's just like that dynamic of feeling guilty about it, but also sometimes uh, unknowingly use it to try to advance and fit in. 
it's heavy. I, I, yeah, I get that. And th that's where my resentment is also complicated. It's like, I, it's funny. Cause Benny, I feel like we're on the opposite ends of the range where it's like, you want to be white. And I'm like, I want to not be associated with whiteness, like at all. Like, I don't want people to know, like there was even a point where I was considering going back to like using my Korean name. Like I wanted to be like as far away from it as possible, but yeah, I sure did grab it in situations where it benefited me. I mean, you know, I was working at KFC headquarters for God's sake. I mean, there were certainly personas and conversations and language and things that I had to take on just to like survive. And I had no guilt about it then. So it's very, um, I guess that's why some of like the Asian community like hates us, which I also didn't realize. I found that out over COVID. I fell into, um, I fell into like alt-right Asian TikTok somehow. I don't know what happened. There's and an there alt-right Asian TikTok? Yeah, don't go do there. TikTok. It, it's okay. scary. Like it was one of these girls, like, you know how like the thing on TikTok is like you overlay and you like correct somebody's video, right? There was this girl who was coming on, an Asian girl talking about Black Lives Matter and basically how, you know, they're pitting minorities up against each other to help the white agenda, all these things. And like in the comments, it's like, oh my God, she sounds, dare I say, dot, 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 adopted. And the comments were like, definitely an adoptee. And I'm reading these comments oh. from these other Asians. And I, I mean, I went down the rabbit hole because, you know. I'm just a, a narcissist like that, or what's the word? Self-hate. I don't know. I, I, I went down the, um, the rabbit hole and like, I like cried. And, and maybe that is another like place in how my whiteness shows up of like this whole time I've been pissing off the Asian community and not knowing, and that there's a bunch of Asians living in America who look at me a certain way, but it, it was like a moment of, I did not realize that people felt that way about adoptees and not people, mm -hmm. Asian people. And it just, it, it touched, it touched a nerve for me. I mean, that's like, I think when I first started really digging into and had my like, oh shit moment about being Korean, being adopted and everything was, you know, after George Floyd, George Floyd was murdered you know, everyone was getting into this anti-racism work and um, there's an educator, according to Weeze, and she's phenomenal. And she was running, you know, all of these affinity groups and workshops and things. And I, like, I, I didn't know what to sign up for, right? Because you go and it's like one for people of color and then there's one for white people and, you know, there's some for like BIPOC and then there's some for, that are specifically like people of color who are not black. And I like sat and stared at my computer and I was like, what do I go yeah. to? Because there were so many things like in the descriptors, right? Like of certain levels of privilege or certain behaviors or certain, you know, thought tracks that were that I shared that were solidly in that, like, you need to come to the white affinity group. And then you know, that kind of struggle with like, yeah, but when I go out in public and people don't, you know, listen to me speak, or even if they do listen to me speak, I get, you know, oh, you speak English so well, right? right. Um, mm -hmm. But then they see me as just being Asian. And I like full on had like a mental breakdown. Like it was yeah. not a good thing. Went yeah. into a tailspin. And but it is, I think that's like the hardest thing I think for a lot of us is, you know, especially when we get into those conversations and activism surrounding you know communities and people of color like at large like how do we wrestle with our privilege the whiteness that comes with our adoption and the fact that like phenotypically when mm. we you know go out mm -hmm. into the world right we're still asian or korean american and like it's just it's a total like mind fuck for <laughs> for lack of a better mm -hmm. term I mean, yeah. it's that it's a literal manifestation of what we feel of like kind of being torn between two worlds at mm -hmm. all times. It's like it all and I'll go in my marketing language. It's all about the audience. So yeah. like when yeah. you're in a room of white people, you get to fly the BIPOC flag all day. You get to say white people this, white yeah. people that, right? Yeah. Mm. And you get to be the expert in the room. You get to be the person that everyone listens to. 
But when mm. you get thrown into a community with not just, you know, black voices, but even other Asian voices, you're the white person. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you have to play the reverse role where your role is to listen and is to right. observe and to allow other people to speak before you do. And it's tricky. And I've, yeah. I've had a few missteps here and there that were humbling and not fun to learn, but it's, it's complicated for us because once again, depending on context, we are something totally different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like that code switching thing, but also to the feeling for, for me, at least of not having a quote unquote home, whether that's physical or not. Right. Is, being torn of who am I and where do I belong? Maybe nowhere. Maybe nowhere. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe well, I don't nowhere know. and everywhere at the same time. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you guys are in your house or with, I won't even say like your loved ones, but like your inner circle. So whoever you consider your inner circle to be, if you're not worrying about it, like who do you show up as? Do you feel like you show up as is someone who's predominantly leaning into their whiteness? Is it like a 50-50 split? Like, I mean, I know in the day-to-day -day in my house with my husband, with my daughter, aside from making Korean food every once in a while or getting really excited if like some TV show or movie or something with representation <laughs> comes out, you know, I I don't touch it that mm. much. Benny, you go first. That's a great question, Shanae. Yeah, I, I I think when I'm, <laughs> I think if I'm truly comfortable, like I I I have a, I don't know if you want to call it a door, I would call it like a castle door, like this huge, huge immense castle door of like gatekeeping. Who am I going to open up to? Who am I going to trust? And you, it takes uh, a long time for mm. me to, whether you know it or not, I'm secretly trying to figure out if I can trust you or not. And that's with everyone. And I think um, when it gets to the point where I truly do trust someone, I think that to me means comfortable for who I am. The question is, who am I? Who am I acting as? Is it someone right. who, a Korean or is it someone who's own white? And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think for the most part, I feel like I'm just me. It doesn't matter if I'm Korean or not, or I should say or not, but maybe I don't act like a traditional Korean until a situation happens where I get triggered or someone says a comment and it's like, whoa, now I'm going into my Korean mode or now I'm going into my personal color mode. And that's where I'm just like, do I speak out and do some, say something right now or not? But that's where I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough every day to, I don't want to, I don't want to marginalize myself here. I am going to say it is tough and exhausting every day to play that game and to yes. put on that facade. Um, so when I finally do feel comfortable around a group of friends or my inner circle, it's just relaxing just to let go, to let the guard down, to open up that door. Um, and I don't think about it until something happens or I go into a situation where it's like, let's say I'm going out to a bar and my friends are trying to hit on girls or something like that. Then I'm like, oh shit, I'm Korean. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to stand a chance. Like these people are going to clean up and. I'm going to be here, you know, putting up the vibes, putting some money in the touch tunes, you know, and like, because I know I'm, I'm different. And I think those situations come up where I get put back into reality. Well, first of all, Benny, it's not true. We just saw all of Benny's sexy pictures. He's tatted <laughs> and sexy, y'all. So don't listen to anything he's saying. <laughs> I, would say, I would say for me, if I'm talking inner circle, I mean, my like super Kara answer is like still depends on who, because my inner circle is made up of different people. And certainly like, I think the percentage has probably changed. I think at one point it was probably like 70, 30, my white self, 30%, my Korean self. At one point, I over-indexed, and I would say my natural state these days, I'd like to say, is like probably 60-40, probably 60 white, 40, 40 Korean, because there are some things which, you know, this could be a whole topic in itself, like nature versus nurture. There are a lot of the nature things that I resonate with that, like, are deep in me. 
So like, if you come to my house, you're going to take your shoes off. You're going to see my Korean rice maker uh, displayed out with pride. Like you're going to see and feel I cook with chopsticks. Like you're going to, you might think like, oh, like this is an Asian household. Like there's certainly like, what's the words I'm looking for? There's certainly like surface level things that make me feel quote unquote Korean or Asian because of that. But there's also mental things. Like I have always struggled. I don't know about y'all, but like with the group, with the like the Eastern, the group mentality versus like the American individualism. I have always mm. struggled with that. I have always mm-hmm. struggled with, Oh yeah. There is oh. a part of me that's like, yep. very yep. like you got to fight for your own. You got to figure it out. You know, feast or famine. There's a part of me that's like very American. And then there's this other part of me that's like, no, you got to look out for the group. Like you yep. can't just act out like that. Like you can't just do whatever you will feel like doing. And this is not just your world and you're living in it. Like you have to think about the rest of us. Like there's a part of me that comes up on that. There's even weird social dynamics where sometimes I'm with people and like, I expect the younger people to be treating me a certain way. So there's like these nature things and like the kimchi fever and like the Han, like that, like urge to like, just get vengeance. Like I saw like some meme that was like, I know I'm Korean because like vengeance is like running (laughs) through my blood. I am on this like journey to get vengeance at all times. So like, those are other like non-tangible ways that like my Koreanness shows up that mm. makes me feel like that's it's more of a permanent part of me rather than like maybe at one point I was just trying to do like surface level things, like hoping that it like permeated. And now I'm like mm. to the point where I'm like, no, it's like set in. And like, I I feel those things like Jong. Like I feel a certain love when I see Korean people. When I see an older Asian person, like, I want to act a certain way when I see them. There are these things that are unexplainable to me that make me feel like my Koreanness is present with me at all times. And I would say I feel good at where I'm at like present day, but there's always this urge for me to like want to be more Korean. Like that's usually like my yeah. MO. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So that brought up so many different feelings and topics. Uh, I want to, you, you should answer this first because um You've been asking a lot of questions, but the Kara, when you said um, like the 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 group versus individual things, like I feel that. And yes. There's so many other instances too where it's like, wow, that is such a Korean culture thing, and I don't know where that comes from because I, mean, I was you don't, but I, do you? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, I was I was in do Korea. You know where it comes from? Yeah, I guess. Uh, but like, I was born in Korea, but I was only there for like three months. And, and that was when I was an infant and every, 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 every other waking hour I was surrounded by, you know, the white culture. But like my question to everyone is, are we born with our Korean heritage and our Korean traditions and our Korean thoughts naturally? Or do you think that's just coincidence when that pops up? Shanae? I mean, oh. I think it's funny, Kara, because like as I as I was saying, like oh, I don't really think about about my Korean stuff aside from like food and stuff. But then listening to you say some of those things, I was like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that too. Oh man, um, and especially the individual versus collective. But I would say too, like the I think the way that I struggle with it is when it comes to myself, I hold really tight to like the individual. Like you don't need help from anybody. You can do it on your own. Like you know that self determined um, side. But then if it is about anybody else, right, or like the greater good that I'm like very much into the collective, right? So like COVID has been like mm-hmm. a super fun time, right? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, Benny, to your question, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I will say when it comes to Han, I think that it, and I don't know if it's because we were we're Korean and if that's like a nature thing and that we just feel it collectively. I don't know if it's because the circumstances for so many of us surrounding our adoption play directly into Han and that feeling of loss and that feeling of loneliness and isolation and just grief and kind of that pervasive heaviness sometimes, or maybe not heavy, we'll say melancholy, if that's part of it. I think on some level it's 
easy for us to lean into the nature parts and, you know, the idea of Zhang and, and all of that, I think, because on some level, even I think I would be willing to bet that even the most staunch adoptees who are like, I am white, like, I want to be white, you know, blah, 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 that on some level, like deep in their core, that if they see, you know, like to Kara's point, like an elder, like an Asian elder or a Korean elder, or if they see something that there has to be some kind of feeling like I don't believe that we're all just truly like dead inside we can shut it off and be like we're white you know or we're whatever we were adopted into um I think that there's there's just this subconscious comfort that we have to feel or attachment or connectedness I guess whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable for us I think that there is some physical manifestation and feeling um Mm -hmm that we get. Cause you know, I saw on Instagram, I can't remember who I need to be better about this, who, who posted or who quoted it, but it said, you know, we need to give infants more credit because everyone says infants who are adopted don't remember, but the gist of it was like, but they're wrong. Like the body remembers, you know, like our souls mm. remember. Mm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's true. And yeah. there's something also to like ancestral lines and even just like your mother and like, Shanae would love to hear what you think about this too of like, I love Korean food, you know? And like, I have zero reason, zero reason to like Korean food. But it's like, I had this weird aha moment. I was like, this is what my mom was eating the whole Mm -hmm. time. Like, of course, whether you believe in hocus pocus or what the hell ever, like you can't deny that that is like some real shit. Like, Mm-hmm. my mother was in a certain culture eating certain things when she was carrying me her dna was my dna like you know i ain't got the hard facts behind it but it's just it's logic you know like of course mm-hmm. and like there are certain things when like there was a good moment where every saturday morning i was wake up and making banchan like a fucking ajima like every day like <laughs> i just and i found so much peace in that and like I, I do. I feel this weird thing when I, I just made a batch of kimchi the other day, like a couple weeks ago. And like, there is a certain feeling I get when I am washing Napa cabbage in my sink, <laughs> even when I was doing it in Kentucky, that just, it's ancestral, it's heritage, it's energy, it's generational that just gets passed down. And again, Frank and Jeanette, we're not making kimchi. You know, my dad eats like liverwurst sandwiches and sardines on crackers with yellow mustard and like I feel a certain way when I eat those things too like that's also nostalgic but it's this like it's both mm-hmm. it's yeah. both yeah Shanae you mentioned too like the the infant thing that they remember I do think that there is probably some environmental thing that we experience as young kids that we just don't realize that is, is uh part of it but I as we have this discussion, I do believe like there's some astrological or biological or scientific thing that is also built in there too. And I'm sticking to that. Like I, I do, I do believe in that. I do believe, feel like there's ancestral things that are just instilled in us, regardless of where we grew up or the environment we grew in, grew up in. Mm-hmm. That's another place where my quote unquote whiteness shows back up. I had, gone through um, teacher tra- yoga teacher training a couple years ago. And, you know, the yoga community can sometimes be a little woo-woo. And one of the meditations we were doing, it was like calling on your ancestors, calling mm-hmm. back on all of those that came before you, calling on your guardian angels and those who are looking out for you from your family and the people that have come before you. And I went into a spiral, like, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I did, I was like, I started thinking about my grandma as I know her, Mm. you know, I started thinking of my dad and my dad's side of the family and my grandma. So I think of my ancestors and it was like, like a record scratch moment, like skirt. Like (laughs) think about the word she just said. She said the generations that came before you, like, are you really Mm -hmm. thinking about Frank and Jeanette Delos right now in this moment? Like Mm -hmm. what does that actually trigger in you? And I was like, Oh, now I have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, I have, now, now I have to move on because I'm having, I'm having an identity crisis right now. 
But that's another place where my whiteness shows up. It's not just like my persona and it's not just in my kind of like thoughts and actions and in my taste buds, but it's also like, it's in my life story, literally. It's both, mm -hmm. you know, I think at one point I started to, in, in, in like very care of fashion, I swung all the way. I was like, oh, my ancestors are only my Korean side. And then I came back to, to the neutral and I was like, no, like it's both like a hundred percent. I cannot sit here and tell myself that my ancestors don't belong on both sides of my situation, both my white side and my Korean side. Yeah. So if you have moments of like, or maybe you don't, but if you do have moments, you know, when life is hard or when something happens and you feel like there's someone like looking over you, in a moment or like protecting you or, you know, that someone, someone somewhere in the, the ether, you know, the universe has your back. Do you generally uh, like think of the Delost side or do you feel more of like a Korean ancestral presence? I think I always thought about it as the Delost side until I found out that my biological father died. When mm. I found out that he died, I have found that more recently when I'm like, quote unquote, praying or thinking or, you know, talking, having that internal dialogue, it's to him and I have no relation, you know, but it feels for whatever reason, like he's the more um, accessible one in a weird way. Mm -hmm. What about you, Shanae? You know, I'm not really one to tend to sway that way, I think, right? It goes back to the whole, I don't need anybody else, right? Like to, yeah. it shows just how deep that runs, right? Um, yeah. But I think in a lot of ways, there are moments where, well, I can say that I, I can concretely say that I definitely do not feel like it's my adoptive family. You know, I've never had a moment where I feel like it's my grandma Tollinger looking over me or my grandma and grandpa Randall. Like that has never once crossed my mind. Um, I think there are moments like before I found my birth mother and before I knew that she was alive that I, I don't think I ever would have acknowledged it if somebody asked me, but I think there were definitely times when I felt like maybe it was her looking after me, but yeah, I don't know. It definitely has never been my white adoptive family side. <laughs> Shanae, I'm, I'm the same way. Like I'm, I'm ride or die with myself. Like, I'm like, I'm doing this on my own for real. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I never really thought like truly anyone had my back. Like if I'm going through some shit, I'm going through it alone. And now I almost prefer it that way. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like no one else is going to relate. No one else is going to know or understand. And it's just best that I figure it out myself. I, and I really couldn't, I can't relate to my, my adoptive family or parents because I think that's a different connection, but I also can't relate to like my, my birth family because that connection to me was never there. And I just don't mm. have that mind context of what that would feel like or no. Have but, you guys ever heard like that? We're technically the beginning of a new family tree. That's no, but what, that makes sense. It, that's what like hearing you talk, but that's like what it reminded me of. That makes sense. I can feel, I can relate to that. Yeah. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. Um, I definitely can latch onto that for sure. I'm um, curious though, because you both have adopted siblings from Korea. Mm -hmm. So when you, like when we talk about whiteness, right. And we talk about being raised in white families and in white communities and, and all that stuff, like where do your siblings fit or fall into this whole that's dichotomy like do you that's a hilarious do you question. feel like they're white too <laughs> did you feel like you know were you going through middle school and you're like i'm white like you're white too you know we're just <laughs> these white koreans in this white family or did you ever feel like your adopted siblings were more korean than you were at any point i'm definitely the more korean one of me and kim in that sense and it's so funny that you say that because like you know part of at least for me is like me trying to like validate my my Koreanness, right? Like that's always been like my charge. So if anyone ever said like, oh, you're, you know, you're you're not a real Asian, that thing used to bother me so much. 
But if you put my sister next to another Korean person, I'd be like, oh, my sister, like, she's white. Mm. <laughs> like, that's, she's the white one, you know? And, like, that is a moment of reflection for me of, like, if that's how I see my own damn sister who's in the same, literal same boat as me, that's a 100% what other people think of me. A hundred percent. And I'm like the one that's like, I'll be damned. Like, I don't want to be associated <laughs> with that. Like I'm Korean, treat me as such act accordingly. Yeah. But I will also say it's also like an identity, like claiming thing too. My sister will claim she's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I don't have Korean. Like she'll say she's Korean. She logically accepts the fact that she is Korean, but I think she still makes some of those comments that make me believe that maybe she might kill me when she hears this episode, by the way. Um, <laughs> she still says these things sometimes that make me believe, like refers to Korean people sometimes as like them, you know, like, uh, yeah, though, you know, and like, I'm all about the, we, us, you know, we in here fam, like that's, that's me. So it's also weird for me to say that because it's kind of an, like an identification thing. I think she identifies more as white sometimes. Again, think Kim, don't kill me. I, I, I identify as Korean. So I think that's also messes with my perception as well, because it's almost like, um, it's like, how do you present yourself? Mm -hmm. Like what's your, what's your racial expression? Like, if you will. And yeah, I stopped doing the, like dressing like white girls, highlighting my hair. Like all, I stopped doing all that. Cause I was like, I'm sending all these wrong signals that like don't align with how I feel on the inside. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's very complicated. <laughs> um, I think like uh, my sister is also adopted from South Korea. We we are um, not biological. And then my brother was adopted from Wisconsin and he is white. So like in relation to my sister, who is probably more related, relatable to like our situation on this, on this call. It's weird because I don't think of her as Korean. I don't think of her as, as white. I think of her as adopted. Oh, I think that's like, uh, like the guiding star of where I look at, my, at myself and try to project that on other people. Like I'm going through this. My sister looks the same way. She's probably going through the same thing. I see her as adopted more of, as in the struggles or the, uh, the, or the celebrations in life. And then there's my brother. Like, I also think like, he's adopted but i also see him him as white as well like at the same time so it's just like this duality of those things happening at the same time and uh, like i am like a a close book like my sister and brother are even more like i feel like we don't talk about it that much and i know my sister and i have talked about a little bit about like the podcast and what she thinks about it and she prefers like to stay out of that and I don't blame her but like not to stay out of it but not not to talk about it openly and I think that's where I see them as Korean and white but also more as an adopted family and that's how we're related and that's how we're bonded together that we're kind of like this in a good way mishmash of ideologies and experiences that are coming together that make us very unique but also a unique bond that no one else can have that I can remember or think of. Shanae, I've got one for you since you've been laying it on us. <laughs> when you look at Clara, what do you think? I see her as distinctly Korean American. And I think I feel this pull to really raise her knowing more of her Korean side. Like we, you know, they all say like no screen time, right? She's only six months old. Um, but I definitely like the other morning, you know, we had on the Uri show and we listened to like Korean children's folk songs. I have no idea what they're saying. Um, I can only count to three in Korean, um, but I'll do that like every time I like pick her up. Like I really want to raise her knowing things about like Korean heritage and Korean culture. And I don't know if that's just a projection of, you know, what I didn't get raised with. Um, I don't know necessarily if that's unhealthy, but I think 
the beauty that I see with Clara having, you know, me for a mom and, and obviously Daniel as her father is that I see her as having the privilege of being able to choose what she wants to identify with when she gets older. And I think that's why I feel so much, not even pressure, but such a pull to introduce her to Korean things because I want her to be able to have the choice. I don't mm. want her to grow up being separate from the Korean community, you know, especially mm. I think when we talk about this move to California, like I want her to feel comfortable and be able to choose if she wants to engage with the Korean community or have Korean friends or, you know, join a Korean sorority or, or whatnot. Like I don't want her to feel like she can't because I couldn't give her like enough exposure or because like I made the choice for her by not raising her to know any of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Like I think about the, the family tree project, right? Like there's going to come a day because I don't think education is yeah. going to change that much right. when she's in like second grade and she needs to do this damn family tree project. And she's going to have horrible. to explain to all of her little like curious, but you know, insensitive friends why everybody on her family tree is white. Except for me, you right. know, and I, I feel like I, I owe it to her to have other options besides that, like to say, you know, this is, this is why my mom is adopted, but like, here's a picture of my harmony, right? Here are my, here are my aunties, here are, you know, here's food that we eat like at Christmas or we celebrate Chusuk or, you know, like I want her to be able to mm -hmm. have those things if she wants to include them. That's so interesting. It's, it's almost like this is my perspective from an outsider. It's almost like I, I definitely, if I had kids, Shanae, I would align with your view of like, I want them to feel like what they want to be and who they hang out with. That's their choice. But I'm going to introduce all these Korean things, even though I can't relate to them or have experienced them because I at least want to have the Korean side get a fair shot. Right. Mm -hmm. But I will say like, since we're talking about whiteness, and I, I don't know if this is a factor, right? Because like, it just is the way that it is. But she, at least for now, when you look at her, she definitely phenotypically looks Asian. And I don't know, you know, if she, if she came out and she didn't look a lick of Asian at all, like, <laughs> you know, if her mm -hmm. eyes were not even the least bit slanted or she was, you know, fairer haired or whatever, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't harp so hard, but I feel like at least for now, when I look at her, you know, there are people that are mm. going to identify her. She's going, I feel like, and it breaks my heart to say this, she's going to get that question of like, what are you? You oh, know, like, are sure. you, are you Asian or whatever? And, um, but I, I wonder sometimes like if she, if she didn't look even the least bit Asian, like would I be so kind of like distraught over <laughs> teaching the kind of the Korean side or not? I mean, it's kind of that survival thing again. It's like you mm -hmm. as a mother, you're yeah. teaching your child survival tactics so that she can survive in either community because she is both and she is going mm -hmm. to have it. I mean, you know, I have a lot of, not a lot of, I've had biracial friends that were half Korean, half white in the past. And there's a lot of synergies of the identity issues um, that we mm -hmm. share with, with mixed children. And it is. Mm -hmm. It's you setting her up for survival. And I think that's probably, I mean, is it probably a projection? Sure. Probably. I mean, that's what I think a lot of adoptees go through, right? Like we all have that moment of like, I wish they would have taught me more. I wish I would have had it more exposure because I had to learn it all on my own and it was so painful. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to alleviate that just like any other issue. Like, right. Again, I'm not a parent, but all I hear is you always want to give your kid a better life than you had. Yep. And mm -hmm. that's you answering that call as a parent, you know, it's like, I, I, cause not only did we have to learn how to survive in white communities, as we started to venture out, if we had ventured out into Asian spaces, I've had to learn how to survive there too. Because like the story I was sharing earlier, before we started recording, like sometimes because you can't, I don't walk around with my white parents behind me, obviously sometimes, you know, Asian people will, you know, give me the elbow or the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the, the joke or the something. And sometimes I miss it, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. me learning my quote unquote Korean education, my Korean culture education helped me survive in those spaces too. So it's like, 
both are a mask for survival in a lot of weird ways. I had to learn to be white to survive in white spaces. And I've had to learn how to be Korean so I can survive in Korean spaces quite candidly too, because it is about context all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our goal of this season is to try to do uh, one or two questions to take away for our listeners. Um, We'll get to that in a second. But before we wrap up, I'm interested and curious to know on this call right now, who are we? Are we another Korean? Are we, are, we, question. are we adopted? Are we projecting some of our whiteness? Like we talked about the comfortableness of expressing who our true selves is from the people we trust. But like looking on the call right now, what do we identify as? I'm going to go with Korean. Final answer. Racially or ethnically, I would say Korean American. But I, there was something that you said, and this goes against like everything else that I've ever probably said on this podcast about how like, you know, adoptee identity doesn't come first and blah, blah, blah. But Benny, hearing you say that you don't see your sister as Korean or white, but you see her as adopted, like resonated so deeply with me. Like I like, I really, in this context, like the freedom that the identity of being an adoptee gives me, because I feel like it is, it's that other quote unquote box of like I can breathe a sigh of relief of like of course I don't know if I'm Korean or if I'm white or like what percentage of either or whatever because like I'm adopted um and I feel Mm -hmm. like if if in times like where I'm struggling with my racial identity that I can kind of rest on like the adoptee box or the adoptee label I don't necessarily want to do that all the time um Mm -hmm. and again that goes back to privilege right but I find comfort in that, you know, or maybe it's Korean American adoptee. I don't know, but definitely, mm-hmm. I don't think I could solidly say a hundred percent Korean or a hundred percent white. Yeah. What about you? I I guess I don't, ha- I don't know. I really don't know. I've been trying to think about that as we're wrapping up of what, what, how, who am I right now on this call to you? The people that I trust, the people that are both Korean adoptees who have very similar experiences I, I don't know who who I am right now. Like, what am I putting on facade or not? I, and I think that goes into the underlying question that I want to end with is, what responsibilities does our proximity to oneness bestow upon us, if any? Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't have the answer for that. And part of part of the question, I think, is a little bit not well framed. Like, there, it's either there's responsibility or not. I don't I don't know if I like like that. But I'm curious to hear what everyone thinks about, is this something that Korean American adoptees should consider living every day of uh, responsibility or not? I really liked what Kara said earlier about, you know, kind of being able to read the room, right? I feel like we, I feel like we do have a responsibility, but I don't feel like we have any more of a responsibility or less of a responsibility than anybody else, right? I feel like just like everybody else, we need to acknowledge the times which we're situated with our privilege. We need to acknowledge when we need to speak out for, you know, marginalized groups or people of color when we feel like we are in a situation where we're representative of that. I feel like we also need to know when to sit down and shut up and listen, um, depending Mm -hmm. upon where we are. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's the responsibility, right? Just to to be aware and to be sensitive and cognizant of the audience. Mm-hmm. How about yeah, you, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I have, if I feel like I have any more responsibility than anyone else or not. I mean, for me, my perspective is always like, what does my Koreanness like? What's my responsibility for being Korean? You know, mm. of like, should I have a kimchi jjigae recipe in my back pocket? Should I know how to make kimchi? Like, should I know how to do these things? Like, I feel more of indebted, that's probably the word, like of responsibility to my Korean side, because that's what I feel like was robbed of me. Whereas like my whiteness has been with me my whole life, you know, since I can remember. And I certainly have responsibility for my privileges, which we did say earlier, our, our proximity to whiteness and our privileges are one and the same. So I guess I'm not answering. I'm going back on the answer I just gave. Um, Because if that is the case, which I'll state, I'll go out and boldly say, I am going to attribute my whiteness with my privilege. 
I think the only privilege that I've been awarded is due to my proximity to whiteness, um, mm -hmm. at least living in America. So I guess in that sense, yeah, like there are certainly moments where my privilege is, is a responsibility and it is. And again, sometimes it's a little misguided. Like the example I gave with like, you know, one of my past girlfriends having a heavy accent and struggling, like sometimes it's a little like hero-y, right? But those were moments where I felt like it is my responsibility because of my privilege to say, hey, you're being racist, yo. Like, you can't do that. Or, you know, when, you know, people want to stomp all over black people, like, that's where I feel like my responsibility, my privilege is to step up and say, like, you can't do that. Like, or mm -hmm. why are you doing that? Like, would you be doing that if that person looks some, something else? Like, that's where sometimes my responsibility, like that urge of responsibility comes in is with that privilege piece which is my mm. whiteness, which is not answering the question. <laughs> no, I think that, no, I actually think that's really good. I'm excited to see what our viewers have to hear. Viewers, listeners, I'm new to the podcast thing. I don't know what we're supposed to call y'all, but <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to hear comments. what, I, I'm interested to hear what everyone else thinks about it. Me too. I think for me, I almost set a comparison where it's like, Ooh, I should, I'm glad I didn't say that, but I guess I will say going back to like feeling guilty of realizing when I'm utilizing my Korean heritage for the benefit of myself, whether that's mm. when something bad happens to Koreans and like, yes, I'm Korean. I feel I'm suffering too. Or like, Oh, people think this part of the Korean heritage is cool. Yeah. I know how to use chopsticks type of thing. And then also realizing um, when I am, utilizing my whiteness as an advantage too. I don't know if I'm going to take any action of that other than trying to be more self-aware and not trying to contextualize and use both of those privileges to my advantage and only that. I think I want to be a little more thoughtful on trying to be more balanced. And that's, I think, my personal takeaway of what I want to try to do. But yeah, Kara, I, I'm interested too, like, um for this podcast we would love to have engagement with our with our listeners and it'd be interesting to hear what people think we'll drop the question in the instagram and people can comment and we'd love to hear from you guys what you think absolutely well i have loved this conversation today um i was really looking forward to this topic in particular as as we just saw it's a pretty heavy one would love to hear from you guys like shanae said about how, what, how do you guys feel about your whiteness when do you use it? When do you not use it? Tell us all about it. We'd love to hear more from you guys. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Soul Conversations and to check us out on our website as well at soulconversationspodcast.com. And I think until next time, guys, uh, it's been great chatting with you. and We'll see you all next time. Have a good one, y'all.